Hi, Smarties. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Seth Perler, an executive functioning and twice exceptional coach. We are sure you'll be impressed with his passion and knowledge, and we can't wait to share him with you. Seth defines twice exceptional children through the narrative of his own educational life journey. He talks about the different kinds of twice exceptionalities and about how important relationships are. He talks about the ultimate goal of securely attached successful adults who focus on their affinities and gifts and are thriving despite their challenges. He also shares how important emotional and physical regulation are and how important it is to pay attention to our own nervous system. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. We wanted to let you know about some audio issues that came up in this episode. We take a lot of care and energy to make sure that the quality of our audio is awesome for you, and we hope you all appreciate that. Today, though, we came across a couple unique issues. For one, this is Rachel. I just moved, and it may sound like that. It may sound like there's a little echo. Seth also had some work happening on his roof. Steph had some cars in the background. These things happen, but we wanted to give you a heads up and apologize. So back to the episode. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 85 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're welcoming Seth Perler to the podcast. Welcome, Seth. Hey, good to be here today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for coming. We want to get a little bit of background, but just to put it out there, he is an executive functioning coach and a twice exceptional coach, which is very cool and fascinating. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are. Well, first of all, thank you guys for doing what you do. For any of the parents or teachers listening, putting together a podcast or anything similar to that is a massive undertaking behind the scenes that people often don't <laughs> see. And we're looking at each other on a Zoom screen right now and they have their mic set up and, <laughs> and everything. And it's quite an ordeal. Anyhow, thank you for showing up in the world and choosing to serve kids and families in the way that you do. I know it takes a lot of heart and time and energy. So thank you. Thank you too. Thank you. And for the listeners out there, thank you guys for listening. Again, my passion is helping kids, but thank you for taking the time to learn to better help and serve the kids that you either parent or work with. So thank you all for showing up. So my background, um, my name is Seth, and I have a website called SethPerler.com, and I'm an executive function and 2E coach. But what that really means is that I like helping complicated kids who struggle. And I see these issues as quality of life issues. And when kids don't get the support that they need to build on their strengths and to work with their challenges in a really meaningful and productive and non-shaming way, then it quite literally interferes with someone's ability to launch a great future. It's a quality of life issue. So my background is I struggled with this stuff as a kid. I felt very shamed as a kid. I felt like the black sheep and I just wasn't good at school. I knew that I was smart, but I could not fit in the box, no matter how hard I tried. And it really began to impact me as an adolescent. And I started to really internalize it and feel really bad about who I was 
And then I went through my own journey and went to college because I thought I was supposed to. I had almost failed out of high school. I failed out of college. I dropped out of a second college before I failed out of that college. And my life was a mess and I felt like wow, there's no hope. I'm not going to be able to do anything with my life. I'm not going to be able to have choices and freedom and possibilities and things in my life. After that, I was at a really hopeless state, but I started working with kids at this job. You used to have a look in the newspapers for jobs. And I got this job (laughs) just as a fluke. It was just a job that I happened to get. And I fell in love with working with kids. And I decided to become a teacher, went back to school, did really well. I probably worked harder than everybody in my teacher classes. At least that's what it felt like because I really did struggle with executive function. And somehow after all of that, they actually asked me to speak at graduation for the education school at Indiana University to represent the class, which was crazy considering where I had come from before. But what they could see at that point when I was in college at this time is that I was super, super, super passionate about what I was doing And I became a teacher for 12 years, got a master's in gifted and talented education. I taught on the Navajo Indian Reservation for a few years. Mm. I taught in a primarily Hispanic school. I taught in gifted and talented school, uh, charter school. And so I had all these different experiences. I taught math, science, social studies, reading, writing. I taught third grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, et cetera. I taught a lot of different types of kids. And I always, always, always liked helping those struggling kids and trying to decode what was going on. And as it turned out, my favorite type of kids to work with were the two E kids. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, I really like these complicated kids that struggle and helping them figure out how to navigate school and life. And finally, in terms of my background, now I'm an executive function two E coach. I, I help these kids and families that are struggling. I speak all over the place and do podcasts and I have an online course for families and I have a YouTube channel that is like my favorite thing. I love creating content and helping people understand this stuff better. But what I'm really focused on with everything is I always keep in mind that the purpose of education and the purpose of all of these things is to plant seeds so that these kids can have a great future while empowering them to have a great childhood in educational experience. Mm -hmm. So I think often we get lost in the weeds and we forget why we're doing all this stuff. And adults can get too focused on grades and numbers and data and test scores and achievement and Mm -hmm. rigor and all of these things that can really, again, impact the quality of life, which is the opposite of what we're trying to do. So that is my background. Well, very cool. I think we all have a special place when we meet those kids that are struggling and we just want to help them. I mean, that's why we're educators, right? Mm -hmm. That's our jam. And I love the complicated kids. I get a lot of really complicated kids. And I know Rachel does too. And those are... It's the most rewarding work that I do. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's so rewarding. It really is. So we haven't really talked about 2E kids on the podcast that much. So I would love it if you would share your definition mm-hmm. of it just so we can all have a common language around it. Yeah, twice exceptional. Yeah. So on my website, I have an article about twice exceptional kids and it's really, really in depth and you can check that out to learn more. And I have an exhaustive video about it, but I get so many responses to that. And I get so many emails from people saying, oh my gosh, I never understood. And now I get it. My kids do. I get sometimes teenagers or college kids that will email me and say, oh my gosh, I'm 2E. And they figured it out. So 
what happens is there's this term called neurodiversity. And that's this idea that you guys talk about a lot and that you guys specialize in. You specialize in neurodiverse kids, kids that learn differently. And we have this idea, this standardization idea that everybody should be at grade level when they're at that grade level in these different domains. Mm -hmm. We have these different domains that we have chosen to measure as a culture. And what happens with a 2E kid in the most simple sense is that they are on different sides of the bell curve. So you have these outliers. In the education world, an exceptionality is usually considered some sort of learning challenge. So if you have a learning disability or you're in what might be termed special ed, I have problems with certain terms and how we use them. But either way, you have a student who has learning challenges, but the very same human being on the other side is gifted and talented. They have legitimate gifts where they require above and beyond instruction in order to really be challenged in a given area. So... Essentially, a 2E kid has two exceptionalities. One exceptionality is learning challenges, and one exceptionality is gifts. Now, one of the problems with 2E kids, one of the biggest problems is that the gifts often overshadow the challenges, or the challenges often overshadow the gifts. So sometimes the way that adults will see the student, the challenges are so glaring that they may not even notice the gifts or even look for the gifts. And sometimes the gifts are not gifts that we measure. Mm -hmm. So for example, if a kid is very artistically gifted, mm -hmm. while our standardized tests don't even measure creativity or what they may be gifted in. So anyhow, the deficits may outshine the gifts and they may focus on that and not see the gifts at all. And on the other hand, the kid may be so gifted that it outshines the deficits. Now, when that happens, a lot of times we get into the shame game big time. And that is where the parent or the teacher is like, I know this kid is bright. Mm -hmm. I know they can do it. So why aren't they? Mm -hmm. It must be because they don't want to, or it doesn't matter to them, or they're not trying hard enough, or they're not motivated enough, or they're not disciplined enough. All of these things these adults are saying, you just need to try harder. You need to work harder. You need to be more motivated. You need to step it up, mm -hmm. are not taking into account that there are legitimate challenges going on. Legitimate challenges. They're just saying, we know this kid's super bright. So for example, kids who are highly, highly verbal, like if you have a sixth grade kiddo who can speak it in an adult conversation, mm -hmm. like a college level adult crazy conversation, and the adults are like, whoa, I, this kid is really bright. And they see that the kid can't turn in their homework, for example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they say, oh, well, the kid must not be trying. They must not care. The kid's lazy. Lazy. That's one of the ones. Uh, if our smarties have been with us a while, they have heard us talk about how much of a trigger word that is over and over again. Mm -hmm. That was one of my two trigger words. I considered myself lazy and a failure. Hmm. So my internal dialogue was, I'm just a lazy failure. It's just the way it is. And I had a limiting mindset. Yeah. So we might talk about mindset a little bit today, but my belief was, I'm just a lazy failure. I just can't do it. And then I would start to blame. Oh, it's because of my parents. It's because mm -hmm. of my teachers. It's because of this person. Life's unfair. People are horrible. Blah, blah, blah. So I internalized it. And a lot of these kids will internalize it. Oh, yeah. They'll not think, oh, I'm just lazy and unmotivated and I just don't try hard enough. They internalize it and say, oh, I'm bad. Yeah. I'm not worth enough. 
I'm not okay. I'm broken. I need to be fixed. And then that creates other problems that can create anxiety, depression, resistance, withdrawal, acting out in many ways. But we really don't want kids to start internalizing that there's something wrong with them because there is nothing wrong with them. There is something wrong with the ways that we identify and approach serving these kids and how we perceive these kids. There's something wrong with that. I mean, it's 2019 and we are way behind in this area, but they are not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. We've done episodes on growth mindset, but how did you go from that limited mindset to more of a growth mindset of you're capable and you're successful and you can do things well? How did you make that transition? I think for me, I got to a really desperate place in life. I was 21 years old and I was miserable as a human being. I was very unhappy and very hopeless and very negative. And I just didn't think that I would ever be able to amount to anything. And I didn't see why I should even try. Hmm. And I just really crashed and burned. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try my hand at life one more time. And I'm going to really put everything into it, everything I got and see what happens. And I did not even do it perfectly by any means, but there's a shift right there. Spirituality is a big part of my life. And at that point, I really sort of let go and surrendered and said, okay, universe, let's do this. Let's see what we can do here. And what happened is that sort of set in motion a series of tiny, tiny, tiny events that at a very, very, very small intervals, my life started getting better. I started feeling better about me. And it's not like my attitude just shifted overnight. And I see the same thing when we're working with these kids. We have to be incredibly patient and persistent with these kids. Mm -hmm. And the tiniest, 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 tiniest successes are everything, in my opinion. Huge. Yeah, that's what you call micro skills, right? Micro successes, yeah. Oh, micro successes, yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit because we talk about little wins needing to be a really, really, really big deal Yes, for these kids. And particularly, it takes a long, long time in your beginning stages of working with a learner to get that first little tiny win. And if we don't make it this big, huge thing, as we should, because it really is, then we're taking away all that work that they've done. And we've talked about the snowball effect on the podcast, that that Mm -hmm. first little win will take a really long time to get. And then the next one will come a little bit faster. And it's a snowball down the mountain. Can you talk a little bit both about micro, what did you call it? Micro successes. successes. Yeah. Baby steps. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yes. All of those (laughs) things, but they go in both directions too, because Mm -hmm. it can unwind and go to the negative side really easily as well. And one great example of that is a kid often will say, nobody sees how hard I try. And when they say that, we need to listen to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they mean it. They are trying. They are trying. And the message that they get is that it's not enough. It's not enough. And then how do we feel when it's never enough? Give up. It's daunting. You give up. There are some patterns that we see a lot. For example, a kid might bring home a grade. They might bring home an 89. And if the parent says, oh, great, good job. But why didn't you get a 90? One point away from an A. Yeah. And if you imagine what that feels like in the nervous system of this kid, they're just like, oh, why try? Or if they clean their room and you're like, oh, great, you cleaned your room. Why are your socks still there? So one thing that I talk about a lot in terms of sort of these baby steps, I talk about the three to one rule. 
which is just a way of framing it in a parent or a teacher's head or my head or yours, but just to think, try to use three positives to every one perceived negative. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's 10 or three or one, sometimes a one-to-one ratio is an improvement for the adult because oftentimes we've been so conditioned to look at what needs to be fixed or what needs to be corrected or what- what's not happening. Yeah. So I'm glad you guys brought this up because if I'm going to empower a child to change their life, I have to notice those little things and I do have to notice them in a big way. So that is one of my biggest secrets of success in working with these kids is I will always pepper in, or I call it throwing pebbles of positivity, just throw these little pebbles at these kids of noticing little things. So we're in my office right now. In my office down the hall, I have a group that meets four nights a week. And as I'm going through the night, sometimes on Sunday nights, for example, they'll be here for three hours every Sunday night. But I work with each student, so I go from student to student. But one of the things that I do is I'll just notice something. Last night, we had a group here, and one of them, I said, dude, I need to tell you, you came in, you were chilling for a little bit, you got your plan done, and then you really got started in a big way. And I know you're taking a break now and I'm not even questioning you because you're in a great phase tonight, you know? So anyhow, I didn't make a giant deal out of it, but he smiled, I turned away and I walked away and I let him marinate in it. And one thing that adults or parents often do also is we spend too much time explaining it, too much time trying to lodge them. Can't you see how you just did that? And that makes your life so much easier. And then it's like, we're trying to be positive, but it turns into a lecture. We don't want to do that either but I'm constantly just throwing these pebbles out. And oftentimes we think that we're going to motivate them by rationalizing with them or logicking them or explaining to them, making them see the light. Can't they see how this is going to impact their future? I'm just going to convince them. And that often has the opposite effect. So what I'm doing and probably what you guys are doing is we just notice where their effort is. Noticing effort is huge. Mm -hmm. Often we're too focused on the result, like the 89 well, who cares about the result? Let's look at the effort. So if a kid shows me an 89, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. What did you do that got you there? What do you attribute that to? That's the question I want to ask. And then they tell me, and I don't really care what they say, but I want to say, wow, that's awesome that you put so much effort into that. We talk about it on the podcast. It's so funny. I'm sitting here listening to you talk and you have all your terminology and analogies about things. And I'm sure Steph is having the same experience because we have the exact same concepts that we talk about all the time, but different analogy. We call it something different. So really what you're talking about in our language and the way that we talk is the process, not the product. Mm -hmm. That we focus and fixate on the process of what happened and less on the product. And we really have to coach the parents in our practices too, because we work with the whole family to honor the process Mm -hmm. that's coming, which is very, very difficult for a lot of families Mm -hmm. because we are just as a society, very results oriented Mm -hmm. and the results will come, right? It's just, it's not where the attention and the focus from us as the people supporting them needs to be or should be. Yeah, the results will come, but as a cynical ex-teacher, I have to say that sometimes the way we measure results, I take issue with. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We could do a whole episode on that. So we won't get into a whole episode on that, but I will (laughs) say to the parents and teachers listening, what you at least want to do is be questioning it. Yes. Where did A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's come from? Why isn't there an E? Why do we use 
the word F for fail. Why do we even have a metric called fail? Hmm. Why is an A 90 to 100% and a B 80 to 89, et cetera? Why do we use these at all, you know? But what I think you are alluding to that's really important is that the results that we're looking for goes back to the beginning of this episode, quality of life. A happy human being with a regulated nervous system, with tools to regulate their emotions in life, with a great social life, with people that are fantastic to have in their life, with the ability to know when somebody's not right in their life and not be friends with them or whatever. Yes. Learn how to set boundaries, learn how to go for goals, learn how to create a good future, learn how to get over their own resistance to doing things that are good for them, things like that. Learn how to execute, learn some executive function skills. And We talk a lot about executive functioning because it makes such a huge difference. And our definition is basically how you live your life. That's what executive functioning does for people. How you do life. Yeah, how you do life. But the thing that I found really interesting and cool, and I was wondering if you could talk about it for a second, is we forget some of the things that people do or parents do or situations that actually can make your executive functioning worse. And we forget to take those out of the equation. On the download that I have in that article, I haven't looked at in a long time. I think there's actually a section that is called What Makes It Worse? Yes. Well, maybe I'll focus on a couple things. But the first thing that comes to mind in terms of what makes executive function worse is emotional dysregulation. So if the adult is like, come on, let's get it done. What's going on? This will only take you 10 minutes. That right there Forget all the words I just said and listen to the tonality in my voice. Ba 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 ba. What does that do to our nervous system? Makes us anxious. It makes us anxious. It makes us defensive. It's it's dysregulating our nervous system. The kid is looking at the adult. The adult is saying wah 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 with that sort of tonality or whatever tonality it is. Their nervous system is picking up what's going on in the adult's nervous system. Now, the adult is the primary caretaker. The adult is the model. The adult is the example. The adult is the one who, quote, should have the more stabilized nervous system. And it's totally okay, everybody listening. This is not to shame anybody. We are human beings. But when we are dysregulated and we are trying to get them to execute and they sense that dysregulation, they feel it. And that will interfere with executive function right there. Why? Because what is happening is that their nervous system is preparing for fight, flight, or freeze. They're feeling attacked or they're feeling shame or whatever it is. They're feeling something that's dysregulating their nervous system. So their body is getting into a place where it's saying, I'm not safe. I need to protect myself. I need to be defensive or offensive or whatever. But they're not in this safe and social place if, if you're looking at what's called polyvagal theory, which is a great thing for people to research, but they're not in a safe and social place. Their nervous system is not in a place where they're in a learning mode now. So what's happened is the brain has told the kid, we're not safe. So it sent a message there, what's called their amygdala, and the amygdala in the brain sends a message to the adrenals on top of the kidneys. The adrenals send adrenaline to the heart, which sends adrenaline to the muscular system, so the kid's ready for fight, flight, or freeze. Even if they don't look like it, they can be in sort of this dysregulated state. 
And when that happens, by the way, the energy is going there. So where's the energy not going? Well, it's not going to anything unnecessary. For example, digestion. You don't need to worry about digesting food if you're in that sort of a dysregulated state. You need to be in a protective state. But also, your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that helps you to execute complex tasks like doing homework, it's taking blood away from the prefrontal cortex so that it can keep you in a protected state. So you need blood and oxygen and nutrients in that part of the brain in order to execute, but it is not prioritizing that. The nervous system is not prioritizing at that time. So the first thing that I would say in terms of what makes executive function worse is emotional dysregulation, co-regulating emotional dysregulation, attuning, but however you want to say it, agitating the nervous system. Second, lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. If kids are up till two o'clock in the morning gaming or doing homework or doing homework and they do not get tons of rest, like rest, not just sleep, rest, yeah. waking up rested and rejuvenated, then that's going to impact executive function. Food. Are they eating a lot of sugars, which will make kids cloudy? Are they eating foods that they have allergies or sensitivities to that nobody even knows about? Are they eating food that is actually nourishing their body? Yes, I can relate to that. Yes, you can. (laughs) Yep. And lack of exercise and movement and their body not feeling good or their body not feeling good in any number of ways. There are so many kids who have things going on with their bodies that may not be identified. They may have true medical conditions that nobody's noticed yet. Yeah, it took me till 38 years old. There may be digestive issues. Mm-hmm. They may have to go to the bathroom and they don't want to look different. They may yeah. be a seventh grader who just doesn't want to raise their hand and say, can I go to the bathroom? You know, there are so many things that can impact executive function. But I would say the body in terms of sleep, nutrition, exercise, and how you feel in your body. And then I would say the emotional dysregulation would be some of the biggest ones that impact executive function. Personally, I had no idea my brain was so foggy until it wasn't foggy anymore. Mm -hmm. And that took me 38 years to know. Mm -hmm. Making sure that everything is in moderation in a way that can help the kids and help them understand when making good choices. You know, obviously, when you're stressed, a lot of people tend to eat even more crap, and then it makes you feel worse, and then it's just a whole cycle. So Mm -hmm. I think for parents and teachers, remembering how you regulate your own executive function is really going to help with our students and our kids understanding what they might be going through, and they might be having a rough day or time, and that how we're really teaching them how to rebound and really how to get through when it is hard. And recover. Yeah, how they recover is really important than you know, them trying to be perfect all the time. And so often we don't even have those conversations with kids. Yeah. Well, they're having them with us in our offices and they're having them with you and we're having them on the podcast right now. Yeah. Which is amazing and great. So in terms of what makes it worse, I'm just going to sort of tie them all together. So there are five things that they need, but one is systems. And I won't get into detail on this because that's a whole episode in and of itself. But essentially, kids who don't have good systems for planning, planners, calendaring, or things like that, agendas and such. Sorry if there's noise. There are people on the roof. Oh, okay. I've never heard this before. It's all good. Sounds like Santa is is coming soon. All the reindeer. (laughs) Okay. So they need systems. So what makes it worse is not having systems and assuming that they're going to sort of pick them up through osmosis because Uh. highly organized kids 
seem to, but they don't. So they don't have systems for organization. They don't have systems for planning. And they don't have systems for advocating for themselves. You could call that a system. Anyhow, that is one thing that they need to be successful. They can't execute as well without reliable systems. Another is the mindset. So executive function, being able to execute is worse when you don't have a growth mindset Mm -hmm. that empowers you to say, okay, I can do a little bit. I can achieve this. I can get started. And then the mindset that I talk about all the time that keeps you stuck is the resistance mindset. I don't want to, why do I have to do this? This is stupid. Get off my back. Leave me alone. I'll get it done in five minutes. I'll do it tomorrow. My teacher just hasn't entered it into the grade book yet. It's their fault. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the resistance mindsets, you know, your kid, what defaults they use for that. So systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. If they don't have the right habits and routines, that will impact how they're able to execute. Relationship. So if you're familiar with attachment theory, if you're not listeners, look up attachment theory. Mm -hmm. Not having healthy and securely attached relationships, having more anxious or avoidant relationships. It can be with teachers. It can be with family members. It can be with anybody, but they need to have healthy attachment with somebody. And the last thing is the nervous system. Having an awareness of how they react or respond to stress, to life, and understanding that the nervous system is having an experience and that it doesn't mean that they even necessarily have to listen to it. Sometimes we can feel something that's this big, but it's really only this big. So these kids can often feel like things are really gigantic Mm -hmm. when it's really not that big a deal, but their nervous system thinks it is. Mm -hmm. But learning that we have a nervous system, that we have the ability to self-regulate and stuff. That's what I wanted to mention. I think that wraps a lot of it together for listeners. No, I like it. So going back to the twice exceptional... One of the things that's a common thought when you go back to the ways that you can be twice exceptional is that most people think that it is IQ and a learning disability of some sort, right? That's like the common definition. And what you were bringing up was that there could be other ways that somebody could be exceptional. And I just wanted to have you throw out a couple of interesting ways that that actually shows up. I'll tell you about one student and we've been working with him for four or five years and I still work with him because he's still growing in a lot of ways and we're not there yet. He's got a lot of challenges. He's dyslexic. He's got dyscalculia, ADHD, and he's very rebellious. Mm -hmm. The other day he said, I'm going to wear crampons, which we live in Colorado. There are these things that will ruin a floor. He's like, the next snowy day, I'm going to wear crampons into school. It's going to make the principal so mad. (laughs) So (laughs) he likes to be rebellious, (laughs) but he's a really cool kid. He doesn't talk a ton. He's not a super talkative kid. He's pretty introverted, but he really struggles with so many things. And it's been really challenging for him. Well, you get this kid talking about rock climbing. You get him talking about every detail about rock climbing, mountain biking, the parts of mountain bikes, the machinery, the science behind it, the math behind rock climbing, mountain biking, mountaineering, any of this stuff, the types of rocks, geology, all the, he wouldn't call it geology because that's too related to school, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he could tell you all. So he is brilliant at this stuff. I could see him owning a mountaineering, rock climbing, skiing, mountain biking business and just like 
making something he's so passionate about it and he is so articulate about it but he's interesting if you ask him what four times four is he's gonna have to think about it if you ask him what four times four is in the context of climbing for example boom he can do math it's so interesting to see it's fascinating i hope that that's a good example for you that's a real gift i think it is there are eight multiple intelligences i think he had a ninth one which was spirituality but he didn't use it howard gardner because he couldn't locate a part in the brain for spirituality or something like that right Mm. anyhow i don't know if i'm botching what you do gardner sorry um (laughs) but multiple intelligence there i believe one of the intelligences was called naturalistic I think that's the name you all can look it up. I think so. So that would be this kid. Now, do we measure that on tests? No. No. None of his teachers would ever know about this stuff unless they give him choices in his opportunities to show what he's learning that utilize these strength areas or passion areas or interests of his, which teachers can do if they are empowered by their administration to be creative and come up with things that really differentiate. But anyhow, I'm not going to go down that track. Mm-hmm. But that's a really good example, I think, of somebody who it's not measured. There are real gifts. Like he's really gifted in these things. These are marketable things that he can create a great future around. Yeah. Yep. If people give him that messaging, you know, you can have a career where you can use those things and make a great living and help lots of people and do what you love. But he needs to be able to execute. Yes. And he needs to be able to overcome his resistance in having that sort of a career because there will be aspects of the career that he hates. Hopefully it's a small percentage, but every human being has to do things they don't want to do in order to do what they want to do, right? You guys are making the podcast. You have an editor, right? Yep. So you guys are choosing to not spend your time editing, but to focus on what you do best, which is the content. Mm -hmm. You know, he can create a future on this stuff, but he has to figure out how to either have other people do the things that he's not good at, which he will have to do if he owns his Mm -hmm. own business in that area, or how to do the parts that he has to do, but he doesn't like to do. For example, I don't like to do the billing, but I do the billing. I wish I didn't have to ever think about that because I don't care. I hate it, but I do it. Oh, it's a game changer. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Seth, we'll give you the name of some people who could do the billing for you. It is... It will make your life better. Great. We are excellent outsourcers. (laughs) We're good at staying in our zone of genius. That's a fantastic phrase too, that. (laughs) Yes. It's so true. (laughs) During this move, my husband was handling a lot because he wasn't working at the time. And I was just like, just handle it because I don't want to know anything about it. And when things would happen, he goes, you don't want to know. You don't want to know anything about it. And I don't. Go ahead and handle and if it costs more money, yeah, great. I didn't have to know anything about it, and that's <laughs> worth it to me. <laughs> and for the two-week kids, you know, some people might be like, well, the only thing my kid is good at is video games. Well, that's probably not true. No, probably mm-hmm. not. I will say the chances of your kid making a living playing video games is pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. We're going to be realistic here. But there are skills <laughs> that they are using that they can develop. Absolutely. This is one of the things that when Rachel and I have done speaking engagements, we have started out our talk with, what do you love about your kid? And sometimes just remembering how unique and special they are can make a huge difference. Yeah. 
we have families that the parents will email us and it's only the complaints. And Steph and I have put boundaries around them. Go ahead. Let us know because we do need to know the daily things that are happening so we can help them recover and all that. Yeah. But generally, we know without the parent telling us to. So when we get those parents who are only focusing on that, we tell them they have to write the email as if they're the teacher in the classroom. So they have to give us a sandwich. Here's the good. Here's what we got to work on. Here's how my kid is awesome. Because they need those reminders. We already know why their kid is great. Mm. But they need to be forced into reminding it. And that's how they have permission to email us. Yeah. And I do the same thing on my meet and greets and on my coaching application online. What are your kid's strengths? Yep. We need to know that. Your kid is not going to build a life and a future and a career on their weaknesses Mm -hmm. and their challenges. They're going to build it on their strengths, their passions, their interests, their gifts, their talents, and things like that. The kids that don't do that, I'm so sorry, everybody, for the noise. I, <laughs> can you even hear it? Yes. We can, but don't worry about it because I think the content is so good and our audience trusts us, they'll stick with us. <laughs> Great. They're going to build a life on those things, the gifts, the talents, the strengths, the interests, the passions, and things like that. Those kids who don't, will spend years or decades miserable in a job. And we do not want them to do that. Yeah, Rachel, Steph, me, we all know people now, adults that we know who we've grown up with, who are miserable in what they're doing. I do not want any of the students that I work with to have that experience. Do I want them to go through difficult career experiences? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do I want them to get fired or Mm -hmm. fail at a job? Actually, I do. (laughs) I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I want them to go into something, think, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world, and then figure out they hate it. It sucks. Recalibrate it, but I don't want them to spend decades in it. No. Recover in a timely fashion. Learning how to take a risk, try something, figure out what you don't like about it, and move on is really really important in life, not just in career, but in so many ways in our kids' lives. Learning how to recover is far more important than a lot of the things because there's always going to be times that you have to learn and recover from. Mm -hmm. So that being said, what would be, besides you have Santa at your office, what would be (laughs) the one thing that you would like our audience to know? What would you want them to take away? Oh, can I say two? Sure. Please. (laughs) One is that the most important thing is the relationship. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of your relationship with your child, look, people listening, you've got baggage. There's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. Rachel has it. Steph has it. I don't even know them, but I guarantee they have it. I have it. We've all got baggage and denying it is not where it's at. Mm -hmm. But looking at it, reading books that help you, going to a therapist and whatever you need to do, like work on your stuff, people. So anyhow, that's what I want to say, because the more we model that we care about ourselves, the adults that we are modeling, we don't even have to tell our kids, but it shows we're doing self-care and we're working on ourselves and we show that we invest in making ourselves better human beings. Mm-hmm. We model that to our kids, but the relationship is everything. We want a healthy, securely attached relationship, secure attachment. What is secure attachment? Let's take a real easy example for everybody listening. Think about one of your best friends in the world. You are so close with that person because you feel like they see you, they hear you, they understand you, they get you, they know you, they've got your back no matter what. That is healthy, securely attached relating. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't all have that with our kids or with our spouses or whatever. And sometimes there's anxious and avoidant attachment styles. 
I'm being very brief on this, mm -hmm. but basically we're looking for more and more secure attachment as time goes on. The relationship is everything. So that is thing number one. The relationship is the most important thing. You know, school's going to happen, how it's going to happen, yada, yada, but you want a great relationship. That's where it's at. That's what matters the most. That's number one. Number two is the nervous system. Polyvagal theory is understanding how to emotional regulation, understanding what's going on in our bodies, understanding as an adult that we have our thoughts and our story and our narrative and our mind, but that it may or may not be fully based in reality. And our nervous system has a response to what we think and perceive about life and our narrative and our story. And the nervous system response can influence us in a way where if we are not aware of what's going on, we are reactive. We are not responding to life. We are just doing whatever our feelings or thoughts are telling us. And we're just taking it for granted that that's the truth. And then as all of us listening have gone through, we get whacked in the head by some experience and learn, oh, what I thought was really going on for the last 10 years or for the last month or for whatever is not my truth. And I need to acknowledge it because this has become too painful. So anyhow, the point is that learning, we have this nervous system, we have these responses, we have fears, we have uncomfortable things going on in our bodies that we want to avoid, we want to resist, we don't want to deal with. But understanding that and learning to work with that and learning to not just take it all of our thoughts as facts and to be able to question and be self-aware and reflective and introspective and grow and work with the, the body. I keep saying the body, the, the somatic body, the nervous system. To learn to work with that is priceless and it will improve the quality of your kid's life because again when you are doing self-care in terms of understanding what's going on with your nervous system however you choose to do that whether that is reading books like the body keeps the score is a great one hmm. or a polyvagal theory for therapists or any number of things or you go to a somatic therapist or you start emdr or brain spotting or somatic experiencing or meditation or any of these things Learning to work with that is going to help you, but your nervous system will be more regulated and your child will learn those things from you directly or indirectly. I love it. That's some good takeaways. Seth, how can our audience connect with you and share a little bit about what you offer because they're going to love you Okay, and we love you. So, <laughs> Well, the easiest thing is just to go to my blog, sethperlo.com and put your email address in there. And then I send out a free course and then I send out a Sunday update. And then anytime I have openings and coaching or new offerings or stuff like that, I announce it on the Sunday blog. Hmm. I have a YouTube channel, SethPerler.com or SethPerler2E Coach. I don't even know what my YouTube channel is called, but every week I make <laughs> a YouTube video where I try to be helpful to human beings who are trying to help kids. And then I have a course called UGYG Upgrade Your Grades, which is a massive course. I have a small one for parents and teachers called EF101, Executive Function 101. And finally, I have something called TIFOS. You guys can tell I'm pretty ADD and I like get an idea and create something. You're a quick start. You get the idea and you put it into action very quickly, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. To my detriment sometimes. You don't think it through. That's me. And then you need a Stephanie who tells you how to think it <laughs> yes, through yes. prior to starting something. Yes. <laughs> so true. It's called TIFOS, the Executive Function Online Summit, and it's at executivefunctionsummit.com. Next summer, actually, you can still buy the recordings from this year. 
next summer, we will be doing that uh, in the summer of 2020, the Executive Function Online Summit. And we had 23 or 24 experts this year all talking about executive function. And if you guys remember at the beginning of the conversation when, Rachel, I think you said, Seth, you're saying a lot of the things that we say, but use different words. Mm -hmm. This was like 24 experts all saying the exact same thing about emotional regulation, about relationship and attachment, about executive function. And it's so cool to hear them all say the same thing in different ways, but it is for parents, not for teachers. Teachers can go, but it is specifically to help parents of kids who struggle with executive function. And it was incredibly powerful. So it's free Mm. to come next summer. All the recordings, if you want, the last one are not, but you can check that out if you want. It was so cool. So there was no reason not to go. Anyhow, that's some ways to find out what I'm up to. I would love to be of service to everybody and help you figure out how to help with your kids. We can't thank you enough for your passion and your time. We know that you have to go. Are you going skiing or something now? What's happening? I'm actually going to talk up in Summit County to a group of parents tonight. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and that is Breckenridge. It's about an hour and a half away. Mm. So I'm going to go drive up there now. All right. Have a safe drive. And thank you so much for your time. And hopefully the three of us can partner again in the future. I would love that. Yeah. Thank you guys again for what you do. And for the parents out there, do not give up. Baby steps are everything. Just so true. get a tiny little step. Use the three to one rule. Notice everything your child is trying to do and just really see them and hear them and notice them and make them feel like you see them and get them. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Seth. Yes. Take care. You too.